We're going to read from Psalm 120. Psalm 120, a song of ascents. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Makesh, that I live near the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Just a couple of words of introduction and then we'll pray and begin to look at God's word. It's been my habit when I was in full-time ministry for many, many years to um, preach four major sermon series through the year, normally matching the school terms, and then in the holidays I'd do little mini-series. And so I figured this little January period we have, we'll do a little mini-series. And uh, so these three weeks, um, I thought we'd just do a little look at three wonderful psalms, Psalm 120, 121 and 122, the Psalms of Ascent, they're called. And um, that's what we're going to turn to now as we turn to God's word. So let's pray. Father, we are very grateful for the Psalms, the songbook of uh, the people of God. Uh, We pray, Lord, that as we turn to the Psalms today, that you would be our teacher and that we would have ears to listen. Amen. Many, many years ago, uh, we had a school trivia night when our children were little and uh, we were all on the table and... uh, I'm, of course, the only minister of religion on the table and a Bible question comes up in the school trivia night and I got it wrong. (laughs) The question was, what is the longest book of the Bible? And I thought, Isaiah. Uh, No, everyone's shaking their heads. It is, of course, it is, of course, Psalms. There are 150 of them, after all, and... uh, Often the Psalms don't get preached because there are 150 of them. You sort of think, well, where do I start? And the way I've preached through them through the years is in little chunks. And that's why I thought we'd have a look at these three rather special um, Psalms. They are um, a song of ascent. At the top of the the Psalm, you'll see the little title there, a song of ascent. Those little titles are not uh, NIV or modern translation editions. They're in the text. They're part of scripture. And they point us to the fact that the song of ascent was, these were songs that were sung as the pilgrims ascended the temple, as they went to worship, as they went to religious festivals, as they went to praise God. These were the songs of ascent, the songs that they would sing as they, as they moved along. They, for all of us, songs are special, aren't they? Uh, For all sorts of reasons, some of you remember we used to listen to songs like this. Uh, For those of you who are under about 20, you'll have to go and ask your mother and father what that is. Uh, It's called a cassette tape. But anyway, we used to listen to songs and we used to do our favourite songs on a cassette. Did anyone remember doing that? Make up your own cassette. But songs are important to us. Some of you will remember the songs of your childhood. I can still remember learning Kookaburra Sits Under the Old Gum Tree as a child and that was with an auntie of my uncle, and it was just a special road trip. We learnt this special song. 
Then there are songs of our youth, and they determine much our age, I guess. For me, it was uh, Meatloaf when I finished school. I know for some of you it's Justin Bieber and Leith Garrett and the Bay City Rollers, but uh, Frank Sinatra. The, the, uh, the, the special favourite song for Wendy and I is Bruce Springsteen's song called Born to Run, because it's a song about Wendy and uh, going off on an adventure. Um, and then there are the songs um, that, that have touched our heart over the years and, and all those sort of things. And many of us are sort of uh, generational snobs when it comes to songs. We only like the songs of our generation. And I've been trying really hard to... Like, I, I, all this Taylor Swift business, I knew nothing about Taylor Swift, so I've tried really hard to listen to Taylor Swift songs. And she can write songs. She's actually not too bad, so... Um, and then, of course, there are the songs of faith um, and the songs that are so precious to us as believers. And many of us grew up singing uh, traditional English hymns. And then a big thing happened in the 1970s, really. It started in the 1970s. We had choruses come in. Some of you remember the scripture and song choruses that were very influential in the 70s, and that led to a whole movement of contemporary Christian music today. Um, and uh, I've always, as a, as a minister, liked to have a, a song selection policy that I called greatest hits and latest memories. Oh, sorry, latest hits and greatest memories. Uh, I think it's great to sing the great old songs of the church, but we only got the great old songs by having new songs. <laughs> um, it, uh, the, the Psalms itself says, sing a new song to the Lord. So it's always been my view that it's good to sing both the Old songs, the greatest hits, but also the, the greatest memories, but also the latest hits when there are good news songs written. Uh, sometimes in churches, and this doesn't seem to be one of them, there's huge division about whether we sing old songs or new songs or whatever else. What's important is, whether we're singing old songs or new songs, is the question that's important for us is, will we call on the name of the Lord? And uh, the psalm begins, verse 1, by asking us the question, or by presenting us the answer, in a sense. Will we call on the Lord personally? For the psalmist writes, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he, God, answers me. There's a little bit of de debate amongst the translators of this passage as to whether it's past or present. I call on the Lord or I called on the Lord. Does it really matter? I don't think so. Um, the, song is the, the psalm is pointing to the fact that in our distress, we should call on the name of the Lord. The point is that for each one of us, our faith is a personal transaction. Yes, we are part of communities and families, but it's between us and God individually. We can fake everything externally, but we can't fake the personal transaction between us and God. If you were here on Christmas uh, Eve, we, I interviewed a, a number of people in church and one of them was uh, Poppy, uh, who's not here today. I think you're childless this morning, are you? Uh, I'm hoping they're off with their grandparents or something, having a lovely time, and you're having a lovely time. That's, that's fabulous. Um, one of the questions I asked Poppy on the run, I hadn't really prepared it and I just sort of thought it was the right question at the right time, but I didn't know the answer she was going to give. I asked her, as a, how old is she, 11, 12? 11. I asked her, is her faith real for her or is it just something of her parents? Is, it, is she getting dragged along here? 
It was a risky question to ask because I didn't know the answer. But she answered it gloriously. Do you remember? She said, what I said was, I said something like, you know, do you come just because your parents make you or is it real to you? And she said, well, I used to come because my parents made me, but now it's become real. It was a marvellous answer. It was, thank God that she gave that answer. But she was pointing to the fact that we can grow up in the faith But at some point it has to become ours. It has to become a personal transaction. I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. One of the great controversies in Christian songs, hymns and songs, a lot of people criticise the modern songs for being too I-centred, too much about I. Now, I don't think that's completely true because some of the best hymns have a lot of I words in them. When I survey the wondrous cross, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I will rejoice in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with the song being personal. The problem with some contemporary songs is there's nothing but the person. (laughs) It's all person. Right? Hillsong's most famous early song was Darlene Czech's song, My Jesus, My Saviour. A song that went all around the world. You could go to any country in the world and people would be singing that song. Later, Darlene wrote a song much less famous. And I think that, that expresses something a bit different. Instead of My Jesus, My Saviour, she wrote a later song called My Jesus, My Dreammaker. Now, I think that's not right. <laughs> Jesus is my saviour, but he's not my dream maker. And I think uh, some of the, the concern about contemporary Christian music is that it's all about me. I had the great privilege of meeting Brian Houston at a, a gathering once and we got chatting. And I, I, I suspect that maybe it was the, way, the clumsy way I explained it, but he did not understand what I was talking about. I said to him, I said, your songs, your music has blessed the whole church. I said, especially when the songs are about the central truths of the Christian faith, the really big stuff, you know. And he just, as I said, maybe I didn't express it properly, but he didn't understand what I was talking about. Um, I feared that he didn't really get what I was saying. You see, the great songs, old and new, speak personally about where the great creation salvation, redemption questions come to place. And that's what the psalmist is doing. I called on the Lord in my distress and he answered me. The pilgrim calls on the Lord as he goes up to the temple to worship and the believer today continues to call on the Lord, that personal transaction. I call on the Lord and he answers me. But he does not answer me like a genie. A genie is where you rub the the lamp and you get three wishes. That's not how God answers our prayers. God answers our prayers sometimes exactly the way we ask and ask for, but often not, because he's not a genie. He's a God, a sovereign God. And so we call upon the Lord not to rub the lamp, to get our will but to seek the Lord in truthfulness. 
And then this psalm goes in a very strange direction, not one you'd expect. Um, oh, sorry, I'm a bit short of clicking there. Um, the, the, the next question I, I pose then is, will we turn from our sins? Because the psalmist looks then at his sin and the sin of others. Um, I, I, as a pastor, have spent too much of my life um, dealing with couples who've gone through marriage separation, often because of the unfaithfulness of one of the parties. And to be frank, when one party in a marriage is unfaithful, it's pretty darn hard to put it back together. Now, it's not impossible, but it's pretty darn hard because it's such a violation of the wedding vows. But on the a couple of occasions where I've seen over the years where people have put it back together, it's only been put back together because the person who did the wrong thing genuinely repented and the other person in the marriage genuinely forgave them. It's a great risk to forgive a person who's been unfaithful and one would only do that when the repentance was genuine. God has forgiven us but calls on us to repent. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. And the obvious thing when you read this psalm is to think he's talking about somebody else. He's talking about those who are lying to him. And yes, I think that's also at play. But the psalmist is also challenging us to see that we need to also repent of our sins. Save me, Lord, from lying lips, from my lying lips and from my deceitful tongue. The word sin is often one we struggle with because maybe sometimes we don't really understand what it means. So over the years I've looked for all sorts of words to try and help explain what sin is. And I've used the word rebellion or disobedience, but my new favourite word for sin is scam. You see, sin's the ultimate scam. What's a scam? It's a lie. It's when someone tells us a lie to trick us. And that's what sin does. The evil one puts lying lips and deceitful tongues. And the scam is not to be believed. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. How many of us in 2024 will be challenged by a scam? The answer, every one of us that owns a mobile phone or a computer. Every one of us will be challenged. How will we avoid a scam? Wendy and I had some flights booked and uh, I changed them yesterday on Qantas. I did that long process of waiting on the line and finally they answered. And then two hours later they rang back, Qantas ringing back. And I was suspicious. <laughs> was this really Qantas? So I said to the bloke, can you prove to me that you're Qantas? And he then gave me the booking number and, the, you know, rah, rah, rah. How do we avoid scam? Don't be too trusting. If it's too good to believe, it is too good to believe and seek wise counsel. And that will help us overcome the scam of sin. Don't be too trusting even of our own motives. <laughs> Don't believe the evil one's lies that it's 
easy and good and get wise counsel. Verse 3, what will he do to you and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows with burning coals of the broom tree. We are hurt by both the sin of others and by our own sinfulness. They're the two things that hurt us as Christians. We can't do much about the deceit of others except be careful. But we can do a lot about the deceit of our own foolishness and our own sin. So the psalmist challenges us to have a personal faith and challenges us that repentance is an ongoing thing for every believer and then calls us to ask the question, are we committed to peace? Woe to me that I may dwell, verse 5, in Meshach and live among the, the tents of Kedar. These were places known in the ancient world for their violence. Too long have I lived amongst those who hate peace. I'm a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Earlier this year, I was uh, helping out at Lifeway Baptist Church in Devonport, and a couple came to church, and I said, oh, you're from Devonport? They said, East Devonport, proudly. And then they said, there hasn't been a murder there for the last two weeks. <laughs> We're due. Uh, <laughs> There are parts of our society that have better reputations than others, rightly or wrongly. The psalmist is pointing to a part of their society that had a bad reputation. In the message, the translation of the Bible by Eugene Peterson, he says this of these verses. Do you know what's next? Can you see what's coming? All you bold-faced liars, pointed arrows and burning coals will be your reward. I'm doomed to live in... Meshech and, and, the, and cursed with the home in Kedar. My whole life lived camping among quarrelling neighbours. I'm all for peace, but the minute, but the minute I tell them so, they go for war. <laughs> He's saying he wants deliverance from the heathen tribes, from the life of war. He wants to live at peace. Be like being a Christian living in Jerusalem or Gaza or Kiev. No matter how peaceful you are living in those places, they are lands of war. I, I, uh, like most of us, we can all be full of woe and uh, with a wife with COVID and some pastoral complications, I could be a woeful interim moderator this week. And then I got a text message from a friend of mine. Many, many years ago, I, I was, used to teach a course at the Presbyterian Theological College in Sydney, and this guy was a student, and he was from, he was from Iraq. And he'd come to Australia to minister in Iraq. He was part of the Arabic church in Maryland's, and Farouk was ordained, and I lost touch with him. And then I caught up with him on Facebook a few years ago, and for the la he went back. And for the last 12 years, he's been the pastor of the Presbyterian church in Baghdad. And if, if I ever start to think life is a bit complicated, what would it be like to be the pastor of the Presbyterian Church in Baghdad? It puts it into perspective a bit, doesn't it? To live amongst those where there is not peace. To live amongst where there is such challenge. And the pilgrim's plea, was, pilgrim's plea in verse 6 was, too long have I lived amongst those who hate peace. You see, the the byproducts of, of peace 
are so understated. We who've lived most of our life in peace forget the blessing that peace is. The blessing of less waste and death and fear and freedom. One of my favourite philanthropists and investors is this guy, John Templeton. John Templeton was born in, in the US in 1912 and died in 2008. He was a, an American Presbyterian and one of the most famous investors and philanthropists in American history. And he made a lot of money by investing in countries that had just ended wars. <laughs> he invested in countries that peace had just begun. And he invested in those countries to assist them, but also he did very, very well out of it. To live with peace is such a blessing. That verse, verse 7, I'm a man of peace, but when I speak, he is for war, can also be a marriage. I'm a woman of peace, but when I speak, he's for war. I'm a man of peace, but when I speak, she's for violence and war. And tragically, sometimes churches are full of war too. That's not been, when in my experience at Olveston Presbyterian Church, praise God. But often churches are full of war. The psalmist eschatology was right in that this side of heaven will always struggle with war and peace, this side of heaven. But it should be the pilgrim's desire to live at peace. Make me a channel of your peace that we might be people who call upon the name and live at peace. So will we call on the name of the Lord? Will we do so personally? Will we turn from our sins and will we live at peace? Let me just leave you with one little final picture to be reminded of how important this is, that God is our strength. Wendy and I moved to a little place at Penguin uh, the beginning of la- at the end of last year, a six-acre place. And amongst the many challenges has been water. We are not in town, we're not on tank water, we're not on town water. And the place we bought had always relied on a spring up the hill, which is great. It's a good spring. It's just not always clean uh, or completely clean. And so I've been sort of wandering to a park in Penguin every few days with... 30-litre jugs of two, four 30-litre jugs that I fill up for our drinking water, for us and for, we have a little uh, cottage, a little rental cottage as well. So I've got strong arms from this. But the plan has always been to put a big tank in. And so in December, in November, we put a very big tank in our front paddock and it's very complicated. It's a slopey block and it's very complicated and I couldn't find any plumber for a reasonable price that would do it for me and I'm not a very good handyman. But somehow, Wendy and I have designed this system so that there's a pump now that runs from the big tank up to the house and the cottage and then the gravity-fed collects the rainwater and brings it down. And it's John came out and John's got an engineering background. He liked it. I was very impressed by that, you know. It's all been working fine until two days ago when we had some guests in our holiday cottage who were here for a wedding. And they were preparing for the wedding and they rang up and said, the pump doesn't seem to be working. And uh, when I went up, I've learned over the years that the first question you ask before you ask the pump why it's not working is you check there's water. 
And sure enough, there's no water in the tank. So what's happened? Has my whole system collapsed? Has my engineering failed? No. The previous guest had turned the tap off. Right? The tap that the, the unique tap that will soon have a silent have a sign on it saying, do not touch. <laughs> the unique tap that fills the, the tank, right? They turned that off. I think they used the hose for something for the kids to play under and then they turned it off. They weren't to know. It was easily fixed. All I had to do was turn the tap back on. Friends, what's the tap? The tap is our personal relationship with God, established by Christ. And so many Christians, so many of us, spend so much of our time struggling because we've either turned the tap down or off altogether. And we wonder why God's not there. (laughs) We've done it ourselves. How do we do it? We do it by not maintaining our personal relationship. We do it by living, we do it by sin, and we do it by living at war. And the challenge of this short little psalm is that we might know God personally, we might repent of our sins, and we might live in peace. Shall we pray? Father, you're a good God who has called us out of darkness into your light and called us to be a people of peace. Lord, give us the grace to live in a way that honours you. Help us to see the scam of sin, not only in the lives of others, and not only in those who want to scam and sin us, but also in our own lives, when we so easily, Lord, believe the devil's lies and think, it won't really matter if I say that or do this. It's only a small thing. And we believe, Lord, the evil's one's lies and then we wonder why the flow from heaven has seemed to have become a trickle. Lord God, give us the grace to call upon you like the psalmist, to turn from our lying lips and deceitful tongue and to be people truly of peace. Amen.